Well, good afternoon. It is so good to be with you today. As Katie mentioned, we're kicking off a brand new series starting today, but I just want to pause for a moment and say this last month has been awesome for our church. If you were around at all for our Voices series, we invited four different voices to come speak into what God is doing in our story through their story, and it was a powerful, powerful, powerful series for us. You can catch all those online if you'd like. And if you really love that series about having those guest speakers come and speak, well then, uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens and it's good to be visiting you this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a real letdown, guys. It's me again. And, uh, but I, I am so excited to kick off this new series called The Leverage Life where we're really going to do, uh, you know, like kind of have one purpose. And I just want to let you know up front what you're in for, not only today, but over the course of the next couple of weeks. Our hope is that you get a bigger picture of who God is and the life he's created you to live. That's it. We want you to get a bigger picture of who God is and the life that he's created you to live. And we are praying for and we're expecting that there are a ton of folks maybe even you, who are going to get in the game for the very first time of what God is doing in this city through this church, that you would actually step up and get in the game and no longer be a spectator to the life God has created you to live. And for those of you who are kind of in the game and maybe you give around here, or you serve around here, our hope is over the next couple of weeks, you would move from just kind of being someone who serves and someone who gives to someone who owns the heartbeat and the vision of what God is doing through this church. We want to see our church take a big step forward over the next couple of weeks. And so I'm so excited to be kicking this series off. I heard a story recently that really ties into where we're going this afternoon. It's a story uh, from really honestly 130 years or so ago. Right around the turn of the century, uh, right before the 20th century, there's a, a story of a woman who lived in a very, very, very kind of poor, small, obscure village in Scotland. And she'd worked really hard her whole life to save up enough money to send her son to America. She'd heard about America and, and had known a few people who had gone there, and so she saved up all her money. And she wasn't able to send herself, but she was able to send her son to America. And so she sent him off, and he was at a pretty young age, but what she kind of learned over the course of the years is he was able to actually get a job and begin to live the American dream. And he actually began to rise kind of an influence and success in his job. And in fact, he became a pretty influential guy around the turn of the century in sort of, you know, social scene, networking scene, like whole like banking scene. You know, like it's a big deal. She didn't really know that or understand that from her little village in Scotland. And he'd send her letters every now and then, you know, about how he was doing. And after a number of years of him being in America and her staying, in Scotland, one of her neighbors came to her and was a little frustrated that she'd heard about the success of her son, but why he hadn't done anything for his mom. And so she said to her, she said, listen, can you explain to me kind of how your son's doing and, and, and what's going on in his life? And she said, yes. And she said, he actually writes me, you know, every couple months I get a letter from him telling me about the exciting things in America and his life sounds so wonderful and so amazing and I'm so proud of him. And the neighbor's like, uh-huh. Wondering, like, if he's a good son, he would have done something for you. And so she said, well, has he ever sent you, like, for you or sent you anything? And she goes, well, he sends me the letters, and then he's been sending me every month these beautiful pictures. Now the neighbor was livid. Because here is her son living it up in America, sending her a postcard saying, wish you were here. And so in her anger, she said to the neighbor, would you mind showing me these pictures? The neighbor said, of course. And so she went into her small room. She's a widow now, very, very poor, simple life, and opens up one of the drawers of the only dresser she had in the house. And inside that drawer were tens of 
thousands of dollars. See, her son had been sending her money every month, but she had no idea what American currency was. And so to her, she had amassed a beautiful collection of a bunch of old white people, <laughs> their portraits, and she had them lined up in her drawer, having no idea the value of what she actually had. See, she'd become content in her state and not realize that there was a whole lot more going on beneath the surface of the pretty pictures that she saw. And as we walk through the next couple of weeks, what I want us to be able to do is to dive in a little bit deeper past the pretty pictures of our life and see the inherent eternal value that God has placed on your life and the way that he's poured out blessing into your life where you may not see it on the surface, but you have no idea of the people God has surrounded you with, the purpose and plans God has for your life, the passion that God has given you and what it would look like for you as we've already sang here today to open your life up as broken and imperfect as you are and say, okay, spirit of God, have your way with me. Help me to leverage my one and only life. And so we're going to be asking one question. It's a simple question that I want to encourage you to ask of yourself and of God. It's a question that I honestly think is a life-changing question and a purpose-giving question. And the question is simply this. What do you do with what God's given to you? Just stop and think about that for a second. What do you do with what God's given to you? Do you kind of pile it all up in a drawer and look at the pretty pictures? Or do you say, maybe there's something more here, something bigger here than just me? What do you do with all that God has given to you? And how do you give back to God the gift of what he's given to you in a life-giving way to you? A way that changes who you are and changes your perspective of God and of this world. So I want to kick off our series this weekend by looking at a really obscure story from the Old Testament. One that I had missed many, many, many years reading the Bible. I had missed this tiny little story, but I believe it's one that you're never going to forget. And I believe it's one that actually has the power to change your story this weekend. And so we're going to look at a story from the book of Exodus, okay? So if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Exodus 31. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got you covered. There should be a blue Bible in your seat back. I'm going to ask everyone to grab a Bible, if you would, just so you can, we'd all be playing from the same playbook here. And grab a pen. We're going to be writing a few things down, a couple of questions down, circling a few things. Exodus 31, in the blue Bible, it's page 60, all right, so you can just kind of fast track your way. Page 60 in the Blue Bible, Exodus 31, a story I had honestly missed for many, many, many years. Let me give you some context to Exodus 31 and where we're at. All right, so the, the story is basically, it's page 60. So, I mean, not a ton has happened yet, all right? So, so we're kind of, I mean, God's created the world, and then God kind of sets aside for himself a people that he calls his people, and yet these people find themselves in captivity. You may be familiar with the story of the Israelites were held in slavery, in captivity, in Egypt for decades. And they thought God had forgotten about them. And then God liberates them through a leader named Moses. God raises up Moses, who grew up himself in the house of Pharaoh, but was secretly an Israelite. God rescues his people and delivers them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. God had promised generations before a promised land to them, a beautiful, wonderful land for them, but they weren't there yet. And that's where we are in the story. They're in the middle of the wilderness. And God had just, at this point in the story, given them the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with that part of the story, God had given them the Ten Commandments. And then God goes on right after giving them the Ten Commandments to give them very specific instructions 
of how they were to engage in relationship with him, how they are to worship him and live their lives differently from the world around them. They had come from Egypt where everything was worshiped, especially Pharaoh. And God says, no, I am the only one true God that deserves your worship. And so God sets aside a new way for them, for that season, for that time, for them to worship God. And part of it was he, he kind of gave them instructions and directions to build the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was to be this special container that held these very sacred things that were reminders of God's presence throughout the story of humanity. And God gives very specific details in Exodus 30 about how to design the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if, I don't know if you're, do you're familiar with the Ark of the Covenant? Like, okay, you've seen Indiana Jones, right? Face melting power, that box, okay? Stuck in a warehouse somewhere, right? Okay, that's the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, that, and that's kind of a fictional story of an actual thing that God said, look, here's where you can count on my presence to be. Now, God was not contained in a box, but God said, you can worship me and know that I am present with you by this Ark of the Covenant, this reminder of my promise to you. And so he gives very specific instructions to build it. And I never really stopped to think about this, but at some point, someone actually has to build it. It doesn't just fall from the sky. I mean, the same way someone actually built this church. There are people just like you that built this church. Someone had to build the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to hear the story. You're going to learn the story today of the people who did. So Exodus 31, verse 1, God sets aside someone to build the Ark of the Covenant, and it's not Moses. Very important. Moses led the people out of Egypt God said, awesome, great job, Moses. I got other people that are gonna do stuff too. This is one of them. Exodus 31, one. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel. Say that out loud real quick, Bezalel. Awesome. I have, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur. You guys know Bezalel, right? Out of the tribe of Judah. Now, this is very important. God just kind of gives a little side thing. He's like, the tribe that he's from. You see, in those days, the Israelites were broken down into 12 different tribes. All kind of had their own unique story and, and kind of had their own unique purpose within the community. And out of the tribe of Judah would one day come Israel's greatest king, King David. So many generations before King David, there's Bezalel. And then many generations after David would come the king of kings, King Jesus, out of the same tribe of Judah. So here we have the sort of ancient ancestor of Jesus, and God says, this is the person that I'm choosing. Now look at his qualifications that God gives him. This is very important. Verse three. And I have filled him with the what? You need to circle that and underline. That's very important. It's one of the very first times we see in the Bible God referring to someone being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. Now, God's Spirit had moved in the story, and we see the Spirit of God in the story of creation, but we'd never really seen the Spirit indwell someone like this before. And Moses is writing it all down. Okay, okay, yep, I got it. I got Bezalel, Uri, son of Hur, tribe of Judah, got that, filled with the Spirit. And Moses is like, wait, what does that mean? I've seen the cloud and the pillar of fire and the smoke and the Red Sea. That was awesome. But filled with the Spirit, what does that mean? God says, you will recognize this person because they are filled with my spirit. That is the number one qualification for them to build the Ark of the Covenant. Now, then he goes on to say, look, not only is he filled with the spirit of God, he also has wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills. And I just think it's really important just to hit pause here real quick, that that's what God leads off with in his qualifications. It's not how great this person is. It's, God, again, didn't choose someone who was a priest God didn't choose someone who was a kind of a natural leader. He says, no, I want you to look to Bezalel. And here's how you'll know who he is, because he's filled with my spirit. And if you have ever disqualified yourself 
from either a relationship with God or a calling from God because you have a thousand reasons why you're not old enough or young enough or smart enough or cool enough. Maybe for you, you felt, I can't, you know, I don't know how to have a relationship with God or to be about the things of God because I'm not spiritual enough. You couldn't quote back a verse to me from memory. You still probably don't know how to say Bezalel. It took me four years of schooling to be able to say that name for you today. And so you've given God a thousand reasons why you should be disqualified. And he gives you one for why you are qualified. This is his spirit in me. And here's the thing, listen, all those other qualifications, man, maybe you're probably right. There are people who have more of those or less of those than you. But everyone has equal access to the power and presence of God. Everyone, men and women, equally. You have to understand that. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is or what it's not, what kind of family you came out of, what kind of family you didn't come out of, what kind of school you went to or whether you went to school at all or not. Everyone has access to the same spirit of God and God pours his spirit out fully and freely to people who are open to him. And here is one of them, Bezalel, filled with the spirit of God. And then God goes on to say just what kind of skills he has. He goes on to say that he has Nunchuck skills and bow hunting skills, <laughs> computer hacking skills, Napoleon Dynamite, anyone? Nice current 10-year-old reference there. Awesome. All right, good. I shouldn't have done that one at the 1230. All right, good. He goes on to say what his skills actually are. Now, this is actually really interesting. He goes on to say, here's our Bezalel's actual skill set. Look at what it says here in verse 4. He's able to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, and to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of, what's the word there? Crafts. I mean, this, Bezalel was awesome with glue sticks and popsicle sticks, like he could rock those crafts. Now, this is really interesting. Again, God doesn't, God doesn't go to the tribe of Benjamin to choose a priest. That would be the natural choice. He doesn't go to Moses. He doesn't go to a priest or a spiritual leader. He doesn't go to a general or some kind of person who's held a big position of authority. He goes to an artist. Please get that. He goes to an unsuspecting artist. Someone who is passionate about creating beautiful things with their hands. An architect, a designer. He says, look, these are the skills that he has. And this is the passion that I've given him. God had given Bezalel a passion for creating beautiful things. Now, where did he learn his skill set? He learned it in Egypt while under captivity. Under the weight of oppression, he learned how to make beautiful things. And so here's an artist who crafted his skill set in the midst of oppression. But his passions are very far from that place now. Back in Egypt, he had access to all the supplies he needed. Look, in Egypt, they loved to build statues. They loved to build idols. There was all kinds of gold and jewels and all kinds of things. But that was then. This is now. And he's in the middle of the wilderness. He has all the right passions, but he seems to be in the wrong place. Think about that. To have a passion to creating things with jewels and gold and bronze and silver. And you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it wasn't like there was like a blick art supply that he could just run out to around the corner. I mean, they had the Amazon back then, but it wasn't Prime yet. And so, that's good, Kurt. It's good, and you know it. It's good. Okay. All right. So, he, he's in a place 
or his passions don't seem to line up. God has given him these passions to create, but he seems to be in the wrong place. And I wonder how many of us here this weekend can relate. Maybe this wasn't the city you wanted to be living in. You thought you'd be somewhere else by now. Or maybe this wasn't the stage of life you thought you'd be at right now. You had a different plan for this place that you'd be at. Or maybe you're in a job or a career that you kind of opened your eyes and realized 10 years later, here I am, how did I get here? This isn't the place where my passions align. And yet what we see with God is when he gives you the passions, wherever the place is that you're at is the place for that passion to unfold. Wherever he has you. Now, it may not look like it on the surface to you. I mean, here's a guy used to working with gold and silver and bronze and jewels in the middle of the desert where he's got rocks and sticks and dirt. But God says, listen, when I give you that passion, whatever place I have you in is the place that I want you. And to choose to trust God with that. Some of you, listen, some of you have assumed that purpose is contingent on perfect You've been waiting for your purpose to unfold once you get to the right place. You have all your things where you think you're supposed to be at at this stage in life, and when you get close to at least enough of them, then you'll have a purpose for your life. And you, too, are stuck in your own desert of wandering between Egypt and the Promised Land, between reminiscing and dreaming about once everything's all perfect so that you can actually begin to follow God like you want to, could it be that God has you exactly in the place where he wants you and has already given you passions to reveal his purpose? So this is where we see Bezalel. We see not only him with these passions in a place that he could not have predicted, but then watch how God surrounds him with people to fulfill God's purpose. I love this. Verse six, moreover, God says to Moses, I've appointed a Holiab, and he goes on to say a bunch of names I can't pronounce, to help him. He says, I've not, so it's not just Bezalel. I've actually appointed another person with the same passions in the same place to fulfill my purpose. And God goes on to say, also I've given, now look at these words. Please pay attention and understand this. God says, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded to you. See, when God has a purpose, he always brings people around it. It's never supposed to be a solo endeavor. There's always going to be people that surround the purposes of God. See, God has a pattern of doing this throughout the Bible. He says to Bezalel, Aholiab. He says to David, here's Jonathan. Moses in this story was given Aaron. Ruth has Naomi. Paul has Timothy. God always puts people around his purpose. And he is always the one who gives them the skills and abilities to accomplish it. God's not rolling through his Rolodex going, do I have any other skilled workers in the desert, kind of going through his LinkedIn.com profile, like, does anyone kind of match this skill set? In fact, God told me to tell you to stop sending him LinkedIn invitations on email. <laughs> I'm sorry, he told me to tell you to stop sending them to me. That's what I was supposed to tell you with that. God's not looking around going, oh, I hope I can find someone. God says, no, I'm the one who gives the ability. God says, I, I, I'm the one who gives gifts and abilities to my people to accomplish my purpose. And I wonder who God has surrounded your story in your life with. I wonder who the players are in your story that you may not even recognize yet. God has actually strategically placed for such a time as this, for such a season as this, for his purpose. Look, five years ago, this church didn't exist. Five years ago, we were so excited because Jean and I launched a website 
soulcitychurch.com. And we were actually living in Atlanta, launching a website for a church in Chicago. We were in the wrong place as far as we could tell. And we felt like God had given us a vision for a church like this. And so we did what we could do in the place that we were at. We built a website. And we hoped that people would maybe check it out. And then wouldn't you know, sure enough, we get an email. A guy named Jade, who we'd never met before, says, first email we ever got from Jade, says, hey, I've read about what you're doing. I am living here in Chicago. I can't wait for you to get here. I want to be a part of what God's doing. We get an email from a couple that we had met years before at a conference that Jeannie had spoken at. Kurt and Katie Duggleby. Katie was just up here a minute ago. If you've ever gotten involved anywhere at Soul City Church, you've met Kurt. Kurt and Katie are on our staff now. We barely knew them five years ago, but they said, listen, we sense God's doing something. We want to align our lives with what he's doing. If you'd have us, can we join in what God's doing? And they left jobs, sold a house, and moved to the city of Chicago they'd never lived in before to start this very church. We get an email from a couple named Chris and Lizzie Wheat who we'd never met before. And they said, look, you don't know us, but God has, now listen to these words, given us a passion for the city of Chicago. They were living in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. So they were in the wrong place, right? And God says, no, 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 I have given you a passion for a reason. Years before, they'd had a passion for the city. And so they asked us, could we come? Could we possibly join with what God's doing here? And then to see a friend that I'd worked with, Doug Scott and his wife, Nicole, join up in what God is doing here. To, to the story of how Patrick Mayberry, our worship leader, and his wife, Jenny, joined up in what God is doing here. I could walk you through story after story. We had no idea when we launched a website five years ago and two people sent us an email. We were like, oh, they're the two people who've been looking at our website. We had no idea that these would be people who would move to the city to be a part of what God's doing and we'd become some of our dearest friends and companions. I couldn't see that from my kitchen counter in Atlanta. But God always puts people around his purpose. And he may have put you around a purpose greater than yourself that you have yet to recognize. And our hope is over the next couple of weeks, you will awaken to it and open yourself up to it. That there may be people in your story that God has placed around you to be a part of what he is doing. So that's what happens. These people come and they make the vision of God possible. And I love this. I want you to jump down a couple chapters to chapter 36. Look what happens when the vision of God is kind of unleashed and the purpose of God is being fulfilled with these passions in this place by these people. Exodus 36, verse 1, God is telling Moses what we already know. So Bezalel and Aholiab and other skilled persons to whom God had given the skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary were doing the work just as the Lord had commanded. And it began to catch fire and people began to hear that God had given them this vision, that these people were using their passions in the place that they were and that more and more people were getting involved. And so people began to respond. And it started in this tent and then it went to that tent. And what people began to do was look in their stuff and go... Maybe we could give something to what God is doing. Maybe we could give of ourselves to what God is doing. And so people began to bring their own personal gold, jewels that they had taken with them from Egypt, family heirlooms, and they began to lay them down and say, what would you do with this? What would you do with this? What would you do with this? In fact, it began to catch on so much and so many people began to bring their gifts and their very best to God that Bezalel had to go to Moses and say, we have a serious problem here. And for those of you who have ever had to raise capital for your company before, 
If you've ever had to raise any funding for your startup or short-term serving trip that you went a part of, if you've ever sold candy bars for your soccer team, you've dreamed about what happened to them. And I want us to actually read it next. Look at what happens in verse 5. Bezalel says, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. And so verse 6, Moses, <laughs> Moses gives an order. And they sent this throughout the entire camp. Listen, we're talking tens and tens of thousands of people. He says, no man or woman is to make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were, what's the word? The people were restrained from bringing and giving more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Oh, how I long that that verse preaches to you, Soul City Church. How I long for Gene and I to stand on this stage and say, enough's enough. You're giving way too much money to the work of God here at Soul City Church. We dumped the you know, black plastic buckets. We were passing garbage cans around and you were stuffing them with money. You were serving so much that we ran out of things for you to do. When Jared had you washing his car, he crossed a line. You are serving too much much. You are giving too much. Enough's enough. God has already provided all that he needs to accomplish what he will in this church in this city. How I long for that to be true of this church and of your life. That you would look at your stuff and say, what about this? What about this? I don't need this bonus. What about this? I've got an extra room. What about this? I don't need a second car. What about this? So great was the response of the people of God to the purpose of God that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. See, what, what I have mistakenly believed my job is is to get up here and compel you to get involved in what God's doing, convince you. If I have to, I'll convict you to get involved in what God's doing. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. That's not my job. My job is to invite you and to fan into flame the purpose God has given for your life. My job is not to do your job for you. My job is to say God's given you passions. God has you in the place that he has you. God has surrounded you with people that you don't even know yet that are going to accomplish the purposes of God. And my job is to say, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with what God has given to you? So that's between you and him. It's not my job. It's not my job. That's between you and him. And so what happens is they complete the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, this is a pretty major significant event. This is how God was worshipped for many, many, many years. Very significant moment. But then Bezalel really honestly fades into the obscurity of history. God, we don't hear from him again. We don't hear from Aholiab again. We, we don't, their, their names don't pop up again anywhere else in the Bible. And yet here we are 10,000 years later still telling their story. Why? Because they're ordinary everyday folks like you and me filled with the spirit of God who opened their hands up and their lives up to God and said, God, how would you leverage my one and only life? And what was true of their story thousands and thousands of years ago is no different from your story and my story here today, right now, here today. 
The truth is simply this. This This is true no matter where you are at with God and all the thousands of disqualifications you've given yourself for God. This is just true of you and me. When it comes to you and me, God has a purpose for the passions that you have. Have you ever stopped to wonder why it is you care so much about what you care about? Why it is that when you drive by that certain part of the city or you walk through that neighborhood, your heart turns and you look around and say, does anyone else see what I see? Is anyone going to do something about this? And you see a story on the news and your heart breaks and you said, okay, someone has to do something about this. Could it be that God is inviting you to be that someone? To not wait for someone else but to trust that the passions that you have inside of you that stir you, that holy discontent that you have for the world, as broken as it is, that that actually might be from God. That there are passions that he's given you that are not the responsibility of someone else. You don't get to outsource your passions. God says, no, that's, I gave that to you. And I have a purpose for that passion. And you may not be able to see how all the pieces fit together. Now, that's okay. So I'm the God of the universe. I'm the orchestrator of all great and good things. And I will work it together in my time. God has a purpose for the passions, those things that stir inside of you, the way that you care for kids, the way that you care about single moms, the way that you care about the poor in our city, the way that you care about the racial disharmony and disequilibrium and inequity in our city. Could it be that that passion is from God? And could it be that God has a purpose for the people that he's placed in your life. Sorry, for the place that he's put you in. I was jumping ahead of myself. I got so excited, Chris, sorry. God has a purpose for the place that you're at. He has a purpose for the place that you're at. That that, that you're not in Chicago by accident. That you happen to be in this city at this time. That's no accident. That's no accident. God has you here now. And I know you're kind of hoping maybe, you know, as soon as I can kind of get my life lined up and get everything as I want it to be, that'll be awesome. And you know, man, my life was so much better when I was in Nashville or it would be so much better if I could just move to Austin. I just wish I could kind of have, be in a place where I really feel like I could be. Could it be that God has you in this place, in this city at this time for a purpose? And you, I don't know what it is. You may not know what it is, but he does. And instead of wandering around in the wilderness, can you make the place you're at your home for now? And give yourself to where God has you. And here's a big word, be called to where God has you. Be called to where he has you. God has a purpose to the place you're at. It is no accident to him. You may not have planned to get here, but he has a bigger plan than you can even possibly imagine. Could it be that God has a purpose to the people that you're with, the people who surround your life, that they are more than just coworkers. I'm so excited for you in a couple weeks to hear the story of what God did at one little local business here in Chicago, how he radically transformed that business by his love. Some ordinary everyday folks like you and me from this church. Could it be the people that surround your life? They're not just coworkers. It's not just your small group and you really like hanging out. Could, it, could there be a greater purpose for you and your spouse than just marriage, which is enough? but maybe there's more that God has put people in your life or he's put you around people who he's inviting you to support. So this is great news that you don't have to always have the vision. God's the one who gives the vision and maybe he's given it to the person next to you and you have no idea that over the next five years, your lives are gonna be deeply intertwined as you support the purpose of what God has with the person in this room that you haven't even met yet. 
I mean, that's how good God is. That's how good he is. God has a greater purpose than you and I could even possibly imagine. And he's looking for people who are open to his spirit. People who are open to and dependent upon his power and his presence. Not slick presentations, his power and his presence. You know, what I found to be true in Chicago is you have a good idea and people will give their attention to a good idea. And we have great ideas in the city. And we have a whole week called Ideas Week. Just talk about ideas. And people give their attention to that. People will give their time and their money to a good vision. If you have a good vision, a good cause, people will rally around it. We've seen it. People will buy the t-shirt. They'll do whatever they have to do to rally around it. They'll give their time and their money. But here's what I've found. People will give everything to a vision or a person filled with the Holy Spirit. People will give their lives to a movement of God. And if you wonder why this church is growing, why we're growing deep and wide, why people's lives are being changed and more and more people keep coming, and let me tell you, it is not because of this building. I love this building. I love this building. I love the story of this building. It's a miracle how God provided this building. You may have walked in here before and never even thought twice about it. I know every inch of this building. We've painted and pulled screws out of walls and knocked walls down of every inch of this building. I love how it's laid out. I love how it's designed. It's so cool and it's so inviting. I love coming to work here. But our church is not growing because of this building. I love the music that we have here every week. I cannot believe, I mean, the video, we had a music video made by someone from our church of a song written by someone from our church, which should be on the radio as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the music that Patrick and the team are writing right now is incredible. And every week, this stage is filled with volunteers, everyday ordinary people like you and me. And I love our musical expression of worship every week, but that's not why our church is growing. I love that we have a world-class family ministry. I'm telling you, this, I'm a satisfied customer of our family ministry of Soul City Kids and Soul City Students. It's changing our family. It's changing and growing up my kids. And I love camp and how we filled this building five days a week with people who might never, ever come to church on a Sunday, but they came Monday through Friday. I love our family ministry, but that's not why God's growing this church. And we know he's not growing this church because of my preaching. The reason that this church is growing is always only because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and nothing less. And don't you settle for anything less than the power and presence of the Holy Spirit God is looking for people. God is looking for churches who are open to his power and his presence, who will build their lives on that and nothing less. All those other things I just mentioned, they're awesome things, and we want to do them with excellence because that honors God and honors people who engage with God, but those are just the jewels on the Ark of the Covenant. What we build this church on and what I've built my life on is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and I wonder if there's anyone here this weekend who's willing to do the same to open their life up and say, okay, God, what would you do with the passions you've given me and the place that you have me with the people you've surrounded me with? That's the story of Bezalel and Oholiab and that's the story of 
people all throughout the Bible. That's the story of people all throughout this church. That's Johnny's story. That's Aaron's story. That's Chris's story. That's Mike's story. That's Oleg's story. That's the story of this church. It's people who are open to and dependent upon the power and presence of the Spirit of God. And I want to show you, as we wrap up here, a story of someone who's learning to leverage their life, their passions, the place they're at, and the people God's brought to their life for God. It's the story of Sean and Kim Pickett. Sean and Kim have been coming to our church about a year and a half now, and first time I met with Sean, I got to hear his story. He's someone who actually went to Bible college and realized by the time he finished, he did not want to work for a church, which made me feel great while we were having coffee. And he had one of those course corrections after graduation that many of you have had. Maybe you've had several in your life. And so he went kind of into the marketplace and said, you know, I don't think church is the best place for me to work. I want to, he's great with numbers and great with finance. And so he's kind of doing that whole thing and investing people's money and doing all that. But his passion is for baseball. He loves baseball. And he has a passion for the place God has him, the west side of Chicago, right here in the near west side. And so what he chose to do and he, his wife Kim chose to do is to leverage their lives around the passion of the place and the people God has. And I want you to hear a story of what happens in someone's ordinary everyday life when they do just that. I'm a coach with the Near West Little League, and we've been involved with the Little League since 2004, so almost a little over 10 years now. We've got roughly 250 kids in our program from five years old all the way up to 15 years old. And uh, five years ago, we made the commitment to purchase uh, in the area because we wanted to be in the neighborhood where we did ministry. Every kid deserves to be able to play baseball. And you know, you growing up, like all of our childhoods, we had access to things, whether it was Boy Scouts or the swimming pool or bicycles. And, and the reality is, is just because you know, a kid comes from a poor home or a poor neighborhood, there isn't a reason for him not to be able to participate in something where they can have you know, positive role models and positive mentoring relationships. The Little League is very important to my wife, Kim and I. Um, it's taught us a number of things about how to serve, how to love when it's hard. Um, but really, I think the thing that comes to mind is it really teaches us perspective. I mean, I remember one of the first times we had a group of my kids over to the house, and they walk into our house, like after running up four flights of stairs, they open it up, and like the first thing that they said was, you mean it's just the two of you that live here? So it really is kind of um, humbling to both Kim and I about like, you know, the gifts that we've been given, but also challenging to make sure that we're using our, our resources for, for God's kingdom. The second summer that my wife and I coached together, we had a, a 13 to 15 year old team, and we were in a playoff game, and I was going to pick up a kid on our team named Little Anthony. Right as like we're coming onto his street, two squad cars drive up and hop a curb, and cops rush out of the cars, and they go straight into his house, and like as this chaos is going on, Anthony is coming out with his Rockies uniform, with a smile on his face, running up to our car as if like this was just a normal day. And my wife and I like just like dumbfounded as he got in the car and we're like, Anthony, why are there cops on your lawn? He's like, oh yeah, my uncle's getting arrested again. These kids are they're craving attention and they don't necessarily have uh, dads or positive males in their lives. And that's what we're trying to do is we want to be able to break cycles and we want to be able to change our neighborhood. And the fact that 
We're consistently there throughout a summer, picking them up three times a week, taking them out for pizza, practicing and having great conversations and, and pouring into them to build relationships. Um, that's why it's really meaningful to, to these kids. What I've done to kind of leverage things is I'm saying, okay, how can I integrate um, what I'm doing with my professional work life, with my church life, with my friends, and with my volunteering and my fun time and things like that? How can I get all of these things to go in together? My wife and I serve with Soul City Kids, and I wanted to be able to bridge the gap between uh, my ball players with the Near West Little League and then our church community and our church life. And so one of the things that we did was intentionally asking uh, a couple of the kids from Soul City Kids that are in my small group to be on my baseball team. Uh, so that way the kids from the Near West side, when they come to church, they've got friends. It's great to, to see how um, my values and my vision and the things that are at the core of what's important to my wife and I are also being supported by our church, you know, our friends, our family. It's amazing. My name is Sean Pickett, and I'm giving my all to live a leveraged life. I'll tell you what, I have the highest respect for Sean and Kim and their neighbors, and a lot of folks who are actually a part of this church who serve in the Near West League. It's not an official Soul City thing. These are folks that have a passion from God and look to the place where God has them and look to the people around them and say, we can do something here. We can do something together. What makes that story so sweet is that yesterday afternoon, Coach Sean led his White Sox, which my son is on, to the championship position of the Near West League. We actually have, a, it's pretty awesome. It's not rigged. Those boys worked hard and earned it. In fact, my son got, this is his first trophy. Isn't that cool? It's the first trophy his life will always have because someone said, we, I can do something. God, you've given me a passion for the west side of Chicago. You've given me a passion for these kids. God, you've put me in this place for a purpose. All the folks that coach in that league, pretty much all of them are friends of Sean's. And a lot of them go here to this church because Sean just looked around and said, and Kim looked around and said, who, who has God put around us? And my hunch is that there is a purpose that God has for your life that is far bigger or greater than anything you had planned. And his purpose is about the passions he's given you, the place that he has you, and the people he's surrounded you with. And what would it look like for you, like Sean and Kim have done, to open your life up and to ask that question, that really simple question that has literally life-changing and purpose-giving power. What do you do with what God's given to you? What will you do with what God's given to you? If this is all a gift, then how do you give it back to God in such a way that it changes your life, that you get to be a part of something bigger than you? And so if, if you're kind of wondering and you're stirring, there's things going where you're like, I don't know, I, that's a big deal. I've never really thought about that before. We want to help the best we can. Over these next couple of weeks, we're going to give you really practical next steps. And I want to give you one right now that directly affects some of the kids that you saw in that video. God has given us the special privilege to partner with two elementary schools here on the near west side, right here in our neighborhood, in fact, Brown Elementary School and Debt Elementary School. If you've ever been to the United Center, you've seen one of these two schools. 
And we've been so privileged to partner with them in really, really cool ways. And the next way that we're going to partner with them is at our Back to School Bash, which is coming up in a couple weeks. And when you came in today, there was a card on your seat, and it looks like this. Would you pull this out? This actually isn't for someone else. This is for you. And for those of you who are in the corner classroom, there should be one on your chair as well. I want everyone to pull that out. I don't want you to miss something that God is doing. And this may not be the point, but it's a place to start for you. What we're going to do as a church is we're going to supply all 725 students of those two schools with a brand new backpack filled with every single school supply they need for this year. Now, many of you growing up never thought twice about your school supplies. But this place that God has us, there are many children who don't know where it'll come from. And you can be a part of that. And so what we're going to ask you to do, this card is very specific. It is a very real kid's Supply list. So this is not for you to kind of take and then throw away. This is for you to take and actually do something about. And what we're going to ask you to do is to actually fill one of these, go buy a backpack and fill it with every supply in here. Now, here's the deal. For some of you, this will be a stretch. This will be a lot. It's going to cost you something. It actually, it like, Target makes you pay for this stuff. <laughs> right? We're not buying it for you. This is for you and God to be a part of something that he's doing. And I know it's going to take a lot of you, and I'm going to ask you to push through and to do it anyway to trust that this is not because Jared and Jeannie are telling you to do something. This is something God's doing that you get to be a part of. Now listen, some of you can fill 10 of these. And you should. Not because I'm obligating you or telling you to do so. It's because you can. And you should. You can help facilitate a kid's future. I mean, tell me, like, is there anything else you have on your agenda today that matches that? It's a pretty powerful thing to do. So I want to encourage you when you leave here today, to make a trip to Target. They don't get a cut out of every time we say the word Target. <laughs> we don't. I wish we did. We don't. But you can head right over there, grab one of these, grab five of these. I mean, I'm serious about this. My hunch is you know people at work. You need to grab five of these in faith. And you need to put it on their desk tomorrow and say, you're going to do this with me. You're just going to make them people that are part of God's purpose, whether they want to or not. I'm serious about this. This is a way that we get to be part of something God's doing, and I just don't want you to miss it. So, this is it. It's the end of my time. I have nothing left to say. This is really between you and God. We're excited to see what God's going to do in your life as you ask that big question and take one step closer to him this week and say, what do you do, God? What do you want to do with what you've entrusted to me, what you've given to me? Next week, I'm going to teach through one of my favorite passages in the Bible, one of my favorite stories. I love this story, and we're going to have a really specific next step for you to take next week. But this is the end of our time today. So I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to ask you to hold that card in your hand. And we're teaching our kids to pray this way with open hands. And so maybe that would be a posture you can take right now, holding the card in one hand and holding the other hand open to God. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then... When we're done, you can leave. As always, we're going to lie in the front of our stage after I say amen with members of our staff and our elders and our prayer team. We'd love to pray with you. There may be something stirring inside of you, like you've been feeling it inside of you, that there's something God is speaking to you about, about a purpose for your life or a passion that you have. Or maybe it's a burden that you walked in here with that you were never meant to carry by yourself. Would you come to the front of the stage when I'm done talking here and pray with one of the members of our staff, our elders, our prayer team? We would love to pray with you. So until then, let me pray for us right now. God, with open hands and open hearts and ultimately open lives, we ask that question. What a powerful, life-changing, purpose-giving question. 
God, what do you want to do with all the stuff that you've given to us, you've entrusted us with? Could it be that there's a greater purpose than our own agendas and plans? Could you be about something, God, like you were thousands of years ago, like you have been every day, God, since you created this world, you've been about something bigger than us and all about you. And so we pray, God, that you would give us the courage to align our lives with what you're doing. God, I pray that a few folks would stand up and say, I am open to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Have your way with me, God, this week and in my life. God, thank you for the privilege that we get to have to partner with these two schools. We pray that the love of God would be lavished on these kids' lives because of our small act of faithfulness today. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in and through this church. Thank you that you're growing it only and always by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We trust you with our lives, with this church, our futures, all of who we are and all that we have. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Until we see you next week, we pray that God wrecks your life with his amazing love and grace. God bless.